0: We're going to take one more shot this week at this uh, topic that we've been discussing for the last few weeks about uh, generational transference. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. And we're going to read through this entire um, uh, chapter and we're going to, as we go, make some comments about it. Uh, but while you're turning and while you're getting ready, let's, uh, let's just do a little bit of review. Uh, if you'll remember last week, we talked about how that Acts chapter 13 verse 36 tells us that David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. How many of you remember what we talked about as it pertains to that word corruption? Anyone remember? Uh, Anybody want to tell me what we talked about? Anybody want to take a shot at it? Remember? Yes, Brother Al. Yes. It's a reference to body decay. It's not a reference to him being sinful or him having a bad attitude or dying with a negative Uh, Mark on his record going into the presence of God, but it has, it is a reference to the fact that when we die, our body is subject to the earth and the principles of nature. So our body returns to to the earth, and that's what it's talking about. He fell asleep. He was laid with his fathers in the grave, and saw corruption. His body saw the corruption and the decay that comes with sin. And then we talked about uh, the the relay race and how that uh, number one, both runners must be running so that they don't lose time. They have to run together. And then we talked about how that tr- we have to trust that the team member will make a timely and smooth handoff. Number three, the receiving runner cannot look back, cannot swerve out of his or her lane, but has to remain in the lane which was assigned to them. And you remember we talked about how that every church, every individual local body has a lane that God has assigned them to. When this church was started... Uh, so many years ago with Bob May, God assigned a lane for this church to run in. And for us to be uh, uh, aware of that gives us purpose. If we're, if, we're just, if we're just boxing at the air, we don't really know what God's called us to. We're not going to be effective in ministry. But when we know uh, what the dream was that was given from God's heart to the apostle of the church... And, and stay in that lane that God has given us. Now that doesn't mean that we can't be creative. Doesn't mean that we can't do ministry differently today than we did 50 years ago. By all means, we need to have different methods today than we did 50 years ago. Or we will cease to be relevant. However, the methods need to match the message that God has given for us. You remember we talked about how that all churches basically have the same message. That is to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We, we, we all have that calling. We all have that message That we are to transfer to our realm of responsibility. But the way that we go about doing that may look different because God has given us a lane in which we are to run. So, and then number four, we said a smooth transition requires intimate knowledge of each other's abilities. Do you remember us talking about the different? Uh, members of the team and how that some are faster than others. Some are able to get off to a fast start. Others are better at pacing themselves and they are pace runners. And so whatever our gift is and whatever our calling is, uh, we have to understand that the, the, the person that I'm getting ready to hand off to may not, their calling may not be exactly like mine. They may not look exactly like my gift would look like, but we have to be running in the same lane and function in the way that God has called us. And and so we, we have to have intimate knowledge of each other's abilities. For instance, if I know that the guy that I'm getting ready to hand the baton to is really fast, and I know that, Then I won't wig out if I'm a little bit behind when I put the baton in his hand. Because I'm slower. I'm I'm better at pacing myself. I'm I'm more of a long distance kind of individual. But I know that when I put the baton in that man or woman's hand, they're faster than me. And they're going to take off like nobody's business. So if I'm behind by five paces, I'm not going to worry about it because I know that they have the ability to make up the difference. And so I have to learn to trust each other in that way. And then number five, we talked about there must be clear instructional communication. In other words, we have to talk to one another. We have to communicate with one another. That's one of the things we're going to talk about tonight in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 28. We're going to talk about how that David communicated very clearly uh, in his generation about the transfer, the generational transfer that that was about to take place. And so it's very important. And then number six... It requires strict adherence to the rules of the race. You can't make up your own rules as you go. You can't do your own thing. You have to stay within the, 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 the confines of what God says he will bless. Uh, Donna and I were just talking today uh, uh, about some of the ministries in the church here. It's, it's crazy. I've talked to two pastors in just the last few days. Pastors that have called me and wanted to have lunch with me here in town. And and so I've met them and sat down and talked with them. And the conversation always goes to, uh, I have never served in a city as difficult to see ministry take place as Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, These guys are frustrated almost beyond measure because it seems like everything that they're trying to do, it's It's hard to achieve a level of breakthrough how many of you know uh, what I'm talking about when when you know there are some things that we do and it's just easy it's just smooth as silk it's just man it just it just flows and then there are other times that you know this is what you're supposed to be doing but for whatever reasons there is opposition there's there's demonic opposition Sometimes it comes through people. It just is hard to get done. And, and These guys were sitting down and talking to me because they said, we've never known anyone. The, just, just Tuesday, yesterday, the guy said across me, he said, I've never known anyone who was sent into a church with a more difficult situation to have to deal with than what you have been faced to deal with at your church. And so if you've made it five years, there must be some secret that you know that you can help up us with. And said, I said, I wish I could be more of a help to you. But all I can tell you is, is that it's just tough. And we just have to remain faithful. We just have to be steadfast. And knowing it, in fact, this morning in my writing and in my journaling, I took that passage of scripture that talks about if you remain steadfast and allow the full, uh, the full effect of steadfastness to take place in your life, then it will bring you to a place of great blessing. And we just have to remain faithful. And that's hard to do. There are days we don't want to be faithful. Let me tell you, there are days I don't want to be faithful. There are days that I just want to chuck it all and just run to, the, to Bermuda or anywhere that it's warm. Anybody want to go? Yeah. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. There are days that it just seems like, oh, I can't, you know, I just not one more, can I take it? I just can't take it one more day. And then, and when we get in that mindset, then we start wanting to change the rules. We want to start changing what it is that we heard God say. I, I, I talked to uh, Luke not long ago, and, and he was expressing some real frustration, and I just said to him, I said, well... I, I said, let me say this to you, Luke. And I said, I know you can take it because you know that I love you. I said, but here's the, here's the fact of the matter. I, I said, you're frustrated because uh, your life is changing. I said, but you were either wrong then or you're wrong now, one or the other. You, you can't have it both ways. And he just kind of got real quiet and I said, you're thinking about it, aren't you? He said, yeah, I am. And he said, you're absolutely right. And, and that's the fact of the matter is that we find ourselves in circumstances where, you know, it's like, why is this happening? And why are, we, why are we in this hard place? And in those moments, we want to start changing things and changing the rules or running a different race. And what I'm saying is, is that we have to, we have to stay in the lane. And we have to adhere to the rules of the race that God has asked us to run. And sometimes that's very difficult. But but it can be done. Okay, Uh, that's enough by way of review. Uh, I want us to go forward. And we're going to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Go there with me and, and just stay with me and we're going to talk about a few things. Now, historically, the context here is that David is an old man. He's, he's coming to the place where he realizes that there is a generational transfer that is taking place. And he's not fighting against it. In fact, if you read uh, the, uh, the few chapters before, you'll see that David is going to great length uh, to organize... This transference, this generation in fact, in my Bible, for instance chapter twenty two it says that David begins the process of preparing for the building of the temple uh, then in chapter twenty three it says that David organizes the Levites and puts some uh, some organization to their ministry and then in chapter twenty four the whole chapter is about David organizing the priests and putting their ministry in order and how they're going to pull that off. And then in chapter 25, he talks about organizing the musicians and getting them all together. How, how's this going to look in terms of the musicians? This is what it's going to have to look like moving forward. And then in chapter 26, uh, he divides the gatekeepers and the treasurers and the officials uh, of the house. In chapter 27, he talks about organizing uh, the military divisions and putting them in order, and then in verse 16 of chapter 27, he starts he starts speaking to the leaders of the different tribes of Israel. So so here's a man who recognizes that a transference is about to take place. And he can either fight against it and say, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want want this to happen. Or he can do like he's been doing and he starts organizing life around the reality of the transference that's going to take place. Now, I want to reiterate again before we go any further. I'm not saying that any of you... Are no longer necessary and needful to this local body. Because that would not be true. You are needed. You are necessary. We need you to take the role that David is taking here. And saying I have more wisdom right now in my life than I've ever had before. And so I can now speak that wisdom and plant that wisdom into the younger generation so that when the time comes that God takes me home and, and this transference takes place, they already know what the plan is. They already know what the calling is. They already know what the dream is. They already know what the task is because people like you have been have been uh, planting and mentoring them to be able to step in when their time comes. And so now we come to chapter 28. And David begins to speak and he says, David... Assembled at Jerusalem, all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of the thousands, and the commanders of the hundreds, the stewards of all the property, livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors. Then King David rose to his feet. And he said, hear me, my brothers and my people. He said, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to you, to me, you may not build a house for my name. For you are a man of war and have shed blood. Now, let's stop there and let's unpack what has just happened. Now, over a period of time, as we've already discussed, David is doing all of this organizing. He's setting people in place. He's saying, This is your role and how you're going to function going forward. This is what you are to do. This is how you're going to operate in your gifting. He's doing all these things, and then when he gets everything organized, he calls all of them together, and he says, I want you to hear me now and listen to what I'm getting ready to say to you. And he begins with this thought. He says, it was in my heart to build a beautiful edifice. So that we could bring the Ark of the Covenant and allow it to rest there. Now what that means is, God's not tired. How many of you know God's not tired? God doesn't need to rest. He doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't need a power nap. He doesn't need a cappuccino. He's good to go. But what he's talking about is, is that we need a permanent place for the Ark of the Covenant to set it's been too long where it's been moving from place to place to place to place. We need to have a place where the Ark of the Covenant can rest, where we can put it and we know that 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 is where uh, it is. And he said, but as much as I had it in my heart to do that, God said to me, you will not be the man to do it. And the reason that God gave David was because you were a man of war and shed blood. Now as I thought about that, I, I, I thought to myself, well that seems a little unfair for God to say to David, you know, I've given you the dream, I gave you the plan, uh, and we'll see here in a minute, all of the plans were given to David. They weren't given to Solomon, they were given to David. It was in David's heart to dream this. It was in David's heart to believe that this was from God himself. And yet God said to him, but you're not going to be the one who, who builds it. Because you were a warrior and you shed blood. Now God was not punishing him. Here's what was happening. God was saying to David, the building of the temple is not your calling. I've put it in your heart to make preparations for it, but it is not for your hand to do. Your job was to organize the nation through warfare and bloodshed. Now, David was one of the greatest warriors that the earth has ever known. I mean, we're talking about as a young man taking bears and lions and ripping them apart with his bare hands. We're talking about a man who faced Goliath and said, you've come to me with your sword and your your spear, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, and this day I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. He was a man of great ability, but his ability was best used on the battlefield. And God knew that he was not of the mindset and the talent and the gifting to be a bricklayer and a builder of the tabernacle. It was not his calling. It was not his gift. Now, on Sunday mornings, we've been talking a lot about purpose. We've been talking about getting up in the mornings and being able to do what we do because we know what our purpose is. We know what God has called us to do. We know what our job is. We know what our role is. And how many of you know that if you know what your, jo- your, your job is and your purpose is, you can get up in the morning and start doing it? I mean, you can go right to work. But if you get up in the morning and if you say, "God, I don't know what I don't know what I'm supposed to do." I don't know what my role is. I don't know how I'm supposed to function today. Yeah, I, I'm just going to sit down over here in this chair and enjoy some coffee until I hear you speak to me. Because until you, I, I don't know what to do until you tell me. Listen, if, if we operate that way, we will never accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. We have to know what our calling is. We, know, we have to know where our gifts are. We, we have to know and then stay in that lane. There are some things that I'm just, not, I, I'm just not very good at. Let me give you an example. I've always been good at visionary thinking. I, I can see something that is absolutely blank, and I can see how it can become something great. I can look at something that has nothing, and in my mind's eye, I can see it coming together. I can even organize that. I can, in fact, today I was putting, you know, we talked about in August when we had our family meeting, we talked about some changes that need to take place in our church organizationally. And today I was in my office working on the structure of that and, and putting boxes here and boxes here and flow charts and organizational charts and who's going to oversee this and who will oversee that and how we can make this work better and how we can make that work more efficiently and here's something over here that we're doing that we're wasting our time doing because it's not ministering to anyone nobody even wants to do it anymore but it's always been something that we've done so we do it so I'm getting my eraser out and saying if nobody wants to To do it, and if it's not serving a purpose, why do we continue putting resources in something that's no longer working? I can see all that. I've been good at that throughout throughout my life. But you know where I suffer? I suffer with getting it off of the paper, and I I struggle with getting it off of the paper and then making it happen. Bill and I were talking before church about how that we need to get a light switch installed again in here now that we've made some changes in our lighting system uh, we, we don't have a light switch because what the light switch that we did have was one of the problems that we had with our whole lighting thing And so we need to get a new light switch and and I can see it in my mind I know that the breaker boxes are back here and I know that we've got to have a, a Wire that runs from back here all the way down through here and into the wall and down there and into that box back there So that when you go over and hit the light switch that light comes on in here that I can see that with my mind but I'm not an electrician and if I try to do that I'm going to electrocute somebody and it's probably going to be me somebody was talking before church about needing some electrical work I said well I'm the guy for you and I'll just take two wires and just pop them together and watch the fire fly that's that that's the extent of my ability to be a, an electrician, I—I'm I, just not good at it. It's not my gifting. Uh, you know, I—I I hear frequently that James Youngblood, brother Youngblood, laid every brick in this building, and I—and I'm grateful for men like that. I've heard the story about how that he fell out of the rafters and and uh, there was snow in here that had piled up, and he somehow fell into that bank of snow, and it saved his life, because if he'd have fell on the concrete, it, may, it, it could have killed him. I don't know. But I think I, I can see all of that, but I can't make that happen. I'm not a bricklayer. So do you understand what I'm saying here? That there are things that we're, that we're called to do, things that we're gifted to do, But then there are things that we're not gifted to do. And that's really what David is saying here. What he's saying here is that God's not punishing me because I was a warrior and shed blood because he needed a warrior who could shed blood at the time of of battle and at the time when warfare needed to take place. I was the right man for the job when that was the task before Israel. I could get that done. But God knows that when it comes to building this temple, I'm not able to do that. It's not my gift. It's not my calling. And so he says, God says, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. And then he goes on, yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all of Israel, and of all my sons. For the Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father and I will establish his kingdom forever. Now, notice this big word right here, if he continues strong in keeping my kingdom. Commandments and my rules as he is today. Now, therefore, in the sight of all of Israel, the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. Now, here's what I want you to see about this passage of Scripture right here. David is talking about his lineage. He's going back in history. And he is saying there's a, there's a transference that's getting ready to take place. From me to Solomon. But I want to remind you that God called me to be king from my father and my tribe, Judah. And from it, it, he could even go even further back than that. My, the lineage brought us to the place Where God chose me to be the king of Israel. So it hasn't been an accident that I've served as king. It's not been an accident that I've been here during this season in this time. Operating in my gifting. Because I've been here by the hand of God. Uh, You know, David should have never been selected to be the heir to the king. He was the youngest of the sons. He should have been never considered to be king. But God never obligates himself to what people think ought to be. He only obligates himself to be faithful to what will bring about his will and his good. And so when David should have never been selected as king, God selected him. And when he should have never been anointed to be king, God anointed him. And he was reminding them of that process. Now, when, when we think about that and we bring that into our world and an, into our situation, we know that God has given us a lane to live in and to, and to operate in. And so it is very important for us to find that lane. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. Doesn't matter what anyone else says. All that matters is God, where do you want us to run? How do you want us to run? How are our gifts going to come together in such a way that we can fulfill the call that you have placed upon our life as a body and as a church? And that's the reason that you hear me say this all the time. The problem that we have in churches today is that we have become so enamored with this idea of church growth, that all we ever talk about is how to grow a church. I mean, I've listened to to preachers on television before, and I can't remember the last time that they ever preached about the blood of Jesus Christ. I can't remember the last time that they preached about salvation. I can't remember the last time that they preached about being baptized in the Holy Ghost. I can't remember the last time that they preached on any number of doctrinal themes that I could talk about. All they ever talk about is how to grow your church. I've I've got this thing that comes into my email every so many days. And I'm about to shoot somebody an email and give them a piece of my mind. Because I'm tired of looking at it. And I don't even know how I got on the email list. It comes up and it'll say five things that pastors are doing to kill their church. And I said, well, man, that's encouraging. That's good to know. You know, here I, you know, God called me to come here to Louisville and to be a blessing. And this guy thinks I'm killing it. And it just, you know, it just irritates me to no end. And so one day I clicked it because I wanted to know what those five things were that I was doing that's killing this church. And all it is... Is that it's a sales pitch that if you will buy my sermons and if you will buy my systems, I can guarantee that your church will double within a year. And it just makes me angry. Because, and here's the reason God did not ask us to build the church, He said, I will build the church. And when I build the church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that I am going to build. It's not my job to build the church. It's my job to build the people that God brings under my ministry. And when I say my ministry, I'm talking about my gift, my calling, what he has asked me to do and to contribute to the kingdom of God. You you really shouldn't be here by accident. You should be here because God called you and placed you here and gave you a purpose so that we could fulfill what God has called us to do. And we spend so much time talking about systems for church growth that we forget that what people need to hear is not how you can help me build a church that will be great and everybody will know about it in Louisville. But what you need is for me to preach the word of God that when it gets in your soul and in your spirit, it will transform your life. And therefore, your testimony will be one of victory. And when people come and ask you, what in the world is different about you from me? Because every time you have difficulty and circumstances that come against you, you somehow find a way to be victorious Tell me what is the secret. And that's when you say, I'm glad you thought uh, you asked. I never thought you'd ask. The Bible tells you to be ready at all times to give account for the hope that is in you. So, my job as preacher, teacher, pastor is to share with you from Scripture the things that you can implement in your life that will transform your testimony so that when you're out there in the world among the unsaved, that your light can so shine in a dark world that you will be the light that permeates the darkness. For some reason, I went to bed before Donna did last night very odd that that happens i did i was in bed because what happened and i remember this it was so it was so dark maybe it was a couple nights ago it's so dark it's one of the reasons i like that bedroom over there it's in the basement i'm gonna to to tell you which one it is because you'll come knocking on the window in the, in the middle of the night i know jane will it's the kind of thing she'd do but it's dark and, you, you know, it's quiet, and you're on the backside. And, and, and I was laying there, and I hadn't quite gone to sleep. My eyes were kind of halfway open. And in this dark room, all of a sudden, I saw a light. And I thought, where's the light coming from? Well, Donna had gone into the bathroom and flipped the light switch on. And when she went, even though it was a room away, there was enough light that came out of that bathroom. That it lit up the room that I was in. And it dawned on me. That that's the way our lives. Should be lived. In such a way that I may be quite a distance away from somebody. But when I start approaching them. It changes. The level of darkness in their life. In their life. Because of the light that is in me. The scripture says. You can't. You can't hide the light. It's like it's 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 like the light that is on the hillside. It it it's a city that projects the light, and, and when we cut, draw near to darkness, we should light that darkness. So it's my job. It's it's my calling, and so I you know if. I, maybe I should do a better job of trying to build a church. I don't know. But I just felt like that it's my job to build people and let God do what God said he would do. Because he'll do what he says he'll do. And he will enable me to do what he's called me to do. And so, it, you know, it goes back to that David is saying all the way back to a time in my life When I should have never been anointed as king of Israel, God looked past all the natural processes in order to bring me to this place and in this time. And here's really what he was trying to say to them. Because God did that at that time in me, then you can be confident that as this transfer takes place now to Solomon... That if God did that, then you can be assured that God is involved in the process now. Now now, you know, it, it, we have to understand, because it, it's like the first week when we started talking about this, change can be traumatic. Is that not true? I mean, if we just look at change in the flesh, it can be traumatic, because we, we like things to stay the way they are, because we get comfortable. We get in that comfort zone. But when change starts taking place, then it kind of, it, it's like the, the eagle in the nest and the, the mama starts making the nest uncomfortable so that the eaglet will jump out and fly. You know, if everything's always comfortable, then we'll just sit in the nest all the time. So sometimes God has to make our nest uncomfortable So that we will trust him to help us fly when the time is right. And so that's really what David is is reminding them of. Now verse 9. Let's read on. And you Solomon my son. Know the God of your father. And serve him with a whole heart. And with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts. And understands every plan and thought. If you seek him. He will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary, so be strong and do it. It's interesting when I read that today, it's interesting to me that David didn't say, Solomon, come here, let me lay out all the plans. Let me, let me lay out the plan to the tabernacle, to the temple, and show you what the plans are. He didn't start there. Where did he start? He started by encouraging Solomon not, not to, to depend upon David, but to depend upon the God of David. He said, if you will seek the God of your father... He will do in you what he did for me. And he will anoint you and bless you even as he anointed and blessed me. So as we take on these mentoring relationships with people who are younger than we are, people who are moving in, into the prime years of ministry in their life, we don't start by saying, okay, this is our church and this is the way we do things around here. And this is the process that you've got to abide by. And this is the plan that you have to stick to. No, we mentor them in the spiritual gifts, realizing that God may give them revelation and wisdom that won't, that won't tear down the revelation and the wisdom that he gave us, but will be an addendum to, will, will be an addition to. You know, God doesn't say, okay, Lee, I'm I'm going to give you some revelation and wisdom here, and I want you to operate in this gift, and I want you to operate in this ministry. But when it comes time for you to transfer it to somebody else, we're just going to throw everything that you did out the window and say, yeah, we're not going to do it that way anymore. It's not going to, it doesn't matter. What you your life didn't matter, to, no. No, what God will do is, as He will allow whoever it is that is transferring under your mentorship, it, it will it will add to, it will be an addendum to the things that He has called you to do. And so in in this church, in your family for families to move forward, for churches to move forward and experience this transference, it will come as God anoints the next generation to walk using the foundation that you have provided for them and have trained them in. So that's that's what he's saying. It's interesting to me that he says, first off, before I tell you anything else, Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart. Verse 11. Then David, I'm looking at the time. Does that say 752? I think it does. Then David gave Solomon his son the plan of the vestibule of the temple and of its houses, its treasures, its upper rooms, its inner chambers, and the room for the mercy seat. And the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of the house of God, the treasuries for dedicated gifts, for the divisions of the priests, the Levites, and all the work of the service in the house of the Lord, for all the vessels for the service in the house of the Lord, the weight of gold for all golden vessels for each service, uh, the weight of the silver vessels for each service, the weight of the golden lampstands and their lamps, the weight of the gold for each lampstand and its lamps, the weight of the silver for a lampstand and its lamps, according to the use of each a lampstand in the service. The weight of gold for each table for the showbread, the, the silver for the silver tables, pure gold for the forks, the basins and, and, and the cups for the golden bowls and the weight of each. For the silver bowls and the weight of each. For the altar of incense made of refined gold and its weight. Also his plan for the golden chariot of the cherubim that spread their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. All the work to be done according to the plan. So he starts off by saying, seek the Lord. You need his wisdom. You need his knowledge. But now I'm giving you the plan. And this is not just some plan that I came up with. He says, this plan came from the hand of the Lord. This is not something to play with. It is the edict of God. As it pertains to the building of this facility. And so God says do it this way. And he closes by saying all the work to be done according to the plan. Verse 20. Then David said to Solomon his son be strong and courageous and do it. Don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God even my God is with You and he will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of the priests and Levites for all the service of the house of God and with you in all the work will be every willing man who has skill for any kind of service and also the officers and all the people will be wholly at your command. Now I'm going to close with this thought. Some days, you can't beat a good bologna sandwich, amen? I mean, some days, I I don't care if there's been a roast on all day long, potatoes and carrots and all that. Sometimes just a good bologna sandwich is what you need. Or maybe it's a grilled cheese sandwich. How many of you like grilled cheese sandwich? Or a ham sandwich. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. But what is a sandwich? Well, a sandwich is a piece of bread with something in the middle and then another piece of bread on the outside. Although since I've been watching my carbs, a lot of times I leave off the top piece and I fold it together one piece and then eat it that way. But even then, it's a piece of bread, there's a middle, and then there's a a piece of bread on the outside. That's what a sandwich is. He said, well, where are you going with this, pastor? Well, I'm going with this. David shared with Solomon the key to his success. The key to his success was a spiritual sandwich. He told him, he said, start with God. Start with the God of your father. Seek him. Go after him. Because if you will go after God, God will be there for you just like he was with me. And then after instructing him to go after God, he said, "Now, let's talk about the plans." I mean, those plans were detailed. Did you hear what all I read to you about the gold and the silver and the weight and the lampstands and the tables and the forks? I mean, a gold fork. I mean, not this stainless steel stuff not going to work for God's house. A gold fork. And he gives him all of the information, and he says, do all of this according to the plan of God. Hey, listen, if God wants a gold fork, don't try to give him something else. If God wants a gold fork, don't give him a gold-plated fork. Give him a pure gold fork. If that's what God has planned, give it to him. Put it in his hands so that he can bless it. And then he comes back at the very end. And after he has laid out this very detailed plan to his son Solomon. He comes back and he says, trust in the Lord. Go after God. Call upon him. Trust him. Because in this process, in this in-between When you're trying to work out the middle of the sandwich, you're going to need to start with God and you're going to end with God. Because that's the only way you'll be successful. So tonight, let me leave you with that thought. Some of you, you're holding on to dreams. You're holding on to things that you know that God wants you to do and has you to do. What's the process that you need to, to move toward? You need to eat yourself a sandwich. You need to get you a spiritual sandwich. Start with God. Let him give you the plan. And then finish with God. And he will get the glory. And you will get the victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you.